Welcome to a Spoko Radio edition, wrapping up The Last Dance on ESPN. We've got the whole Motley crew here tonight to wrap things up. I got Jerry, I got Champ, I got Z. Guys, let's start with this. We've got the whole 10-part episode down. Jerry, we'll start with you. How does or how does this, this documentary, what does it do to your childhood perception of the Bulls dynasty? It's really hard for me right now not wishing that I was an older man or that Chicago sports soul wasn't sold to the Michael Jordan and whatever (laughs) devil he sold it to because since then, and since this rebuilding thing had to happen, which is absurd and we will get to later, it's been constant pain. And then rewatching all of this, like, I remember like the big moments, like the flu game and the shot and the Steve Kerr shot and the Dennis Rodman tripping Carl Malone. But like, I don't remember any of the actual runs themselves and the appreciation that like, I think a lot of people that are probably 38 and above have, and I'm jealous that they have that over me. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way of putting it champ. What about you? I totally agree. I, as I watched this throughout watching this entire documentary, I kept telling not only myself in my head, but out loud to my wife, God, I just wish we were older when this happened. Because, I mean, we were from, you know, my, me personally from 91 to 98, I was from like 3 to 11. And that, I mean, yes, like Jer said, I remember, you know, I even told my wife, I remember where I was when Jordan hit that shot in 97 to beat the Jazz in game one. I remember where Steve Kerr, where I was when Steve Kerr hit that shot. I remember, you know, my dad taking me to Grant Park when they won their fourth championship. Like, I remember some of those things, but to be like the sports fan that I am now or when I was in college or even, hell, I would even be grateful to be in high school during these times. Because that's when you like truly became a sports fan and you like started to actually get what sports was you had like a, a an intense knowledge for sports and you started building your acumen of sports dialogue and everything during that time if you were to tell me i would have been in high school during even the last three of these championships i would have taken that in a heartbeat and i think that would have been awesome so that going back that's what i think i agree 100 percent with jerome i just wish we were just a little bit older and could appreciate it a little more keeping z on ice for a second champ if you if you were older how does that impact you being a fan today? What does that change the like if you live through this, how is that going to change your mentality as a fan? Well, I honestly think it would probably at the end of this, I would actually be more upset as I was because you know, when you're eleven years old and they I'm they still lost. upset. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like now we're <laughs> but upset. I'm more so now you can't but I if, can't be. If we if we were if we were older when this happened, I think we would be irate that they didn't give him a chance to run it back for the seventh title. I'm I mean, pretty irate. We're irate now, <laughs> watching it back, and it happened 22 years ago. Imagine if I this don't was like often swear on Twitter, but I put a big fuck out there for Jerry Reinsdorf. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I think honestly, it would make us more upset if we were older and how it ended. I think we would appreciate it more as it was going on, but as it ended, I think it would just make us even more upset. It's hard to disagree. Z, how has this changed your perception from when you were a child? 
I think it's interesting. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction from you two. So Champ and I are roughly the same age. We're a little bit older than DC and Jer. And it hit me at exactly the right time. I was eight, nine, ten years old. It really shaped and fundamentally shaped who I became as a sports fan. Michael Jordan was like a mythological creature to me. And now watching the documentary, it almost justifies everything I thought as a 10-year-old. You know, looking back and things you think when you're 10 years old, you're like, I really didn't fully understand. But I thought Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of all time. And this documentary, 22 years later, just solidifies it even more. So I think it actually hit me at the perfect time. Maybe not, I didn't get to appreciate all the depth of it, like Jerry and Champ are saying, but it really like shaped and molded me. And we'll get into this, I think, a little bit later in the pod, of, like who I am as a sports fan, who I am as a, like playing sports even. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting. It, it yeah, solidifies. Yeah, I'm kind of with Z. I think it confirms, right? Z brings up the point that it's, uh, you, you grow up thinking Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever, but this really sheds a light into what it took for him to become that. And to me, that's what stands out. That's what it doesn't change, change, change my perception whatsoever, but it gives me that sense of like, it wasn't all God given. He was just going to outwork you and look for any slight he possibly could to then take it out on his opponents. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I agree at the end of the day, like the, the, the fabric, like it, this is an Iowa Hawkeye podcast, but I think you three, knowing me the best, would agree that the Chicago Bulls matter to me a lot. Probably the most out of any sports franchise there is outside of – it's like Iowa football right now and then the Chicago Bulls. And for me, it's like a, it's like a vacation you went on as a kid. Like you remember looking at the pictures of being in Disney World – but you don't remember like eating breakfast with Goofy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like if I went now and ate breakfast with Goofy, I would realize like what that actually is having breakfast with Goofy. First of all, you'd put you'd post a million pictures on Instagram and you'd have a million pictures on your phone and a million videos. That's one thing that I would love to have is like back then I would love to have like pictures of, you know, being out watching the Bulls. Like, obviously you couldn't, or you couldn't post anything because there wasn't anything to post. So that would be something I would love to be able to look back on and be like, damn, this is a sweet, you know, picture of the four of us watching this game or something. So I was thinking about this. Okay, episode nine, uh, Pacers series, conference finals, 97. Reggie Miller hits that huge three to win, was it like game six maybe? I don't remember game, exactly what game, game four. Game four. That's the Good. greatest moment in Indiana Pacer basketball history. If I grew up in rural Indiana, I would look to that moment like, man, we were real. We really made it, and really, they end up getting beaten seven, so it didn't matter. So, like, though it sucks that the Bulls have not done anything in the last twenty-two years, there still is like we've been to the the top. We've been to Everest. We've t- like seen that, even though we're not there now. It's still like I would still take that, even though like. Being there once. I just feel like I want to go to Bora Bora as an adult, not Bora Bora as a 10-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to enjoy the food at Bora Bora as a 10-year-old. Like, if somebody, if I have a a five-star Michelin chef whipping me up a nice fancy meal every single fucking year, three-peats, three-peats, I'm 10, I'm not eating. I'm eating chicken nuggets and milk. I think that's our point. My point is you've been to Bora Bora once. You know how great it is. You want to go back. 
if you're from Indiana, you don't even know know where Bora Bora is. See, this is the eye when you see. I <laughs> wanted every fucking meal. Right. It's like we've won since the Bulls have won their championship. We as a fan base, Chicago fan base, we're not Cub fans, so we don't even include that championship. We have won one championship with all our teams, and that's 2005 Black. with the Chicago Whites, uh, the, the Blackhawks. We don't yeah, count them either. We don't count hockey. I mean, Sorry. we love It was we fun. Love, we love those three championships, and I, had, I went out and drank and had a good time. But our true three teams that we love for Chicago are the Bulls, the White Sox, and the Bears. And we've seen one championship, and Zeke can attest to this. In 2005, I was a freshman in college. And when the White Sox won the championship, that was the most joy I have ever had in my adult life watching sports. Z was there with me He's in the dorm out. room. He saw me running down the fucking dorm room hallways, spraying water bottles on random people that I didn't even know. That's how excited I was. And yeah, I mean, I was obviously we would love to have that with any of our teams. So for it to have happened when we were so young, I hope that we don't go our whole life without seeing a true, you know, another dynasty like this. Maybe this is why we are this way, Z, because we we were raised in this championship-given world. Like, we were just getting championships left and right like it was no big deal. And now here we are as Iowa alumni, and this is probably the pressure we put on as a show on our in the actual Spoko podcast, where we just demand Big Ten West championships all the time because fucking Jordan raised us. 1,000%. 1,000%. Chicago fans are entitled. Thank you. I, I don't think we're entitled. We're also White Sox and Cub fans. We can cut the, the podcast. The podcast can stop right here. Chicago <laughs> fans are entitled. Zia spoke. <laughs> I, t- I disagree with that very, very much. Uh, all right. Well, let's go overall winners and losers. Before we start recording, Champ said you had a whole list of winners. Of course. So, Champ, why don't you give us a winner? Uh, so I did just from these two episodes, we can go overall, but uh, one of my winners was Steve Kerr's 1997 championship rally championship speech. <laughs> I mean, that to me was Steve absolutely Kerr winner. Steve mm-hmm. Kerr in, in that episode was a true winner, but that speech that he gave after they won their fifth title at the rally where they, he did the entire thing through the timeout with Phil Jackson and made light of him, you know, him making the shot and Jordan not being comfortable making that. That was awesome. I mean, that's just who Steve Kerr is. We all love him. We're all throughout the documentary. We were texting very regretful, regretfully that he is not part of the Bulls franchise or never really was part of the Bulls franchise after he played. And that's disappointing. But that was one major winner for me was that speech. It was incredible. There's going to be a theme here, I think. Everything's going to tie back to the Bulls present day. And that's a major major screw up by the bulls and John Paxson taking a, a young Steve Kerr under his wing when they're in the playing days and then not turning around and <laughs> having the chance to hire him as a head coach instead leaving his lame duck coach sitting out there for a year while he was busy trying to get Fred Hoiberg to leave college. Jer, a winner from you from the overall series of the last two or the, these last two episodes. Uh, I'm going to do, It's been sprinkled throughout this entire documentary, um, but I think we got to see it a lot in these last two. It's Michael Jordan, the human. Um, The the Gus stuff was spectacular. I I mean, we got we got Michael like the competitor. We got Michael the 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 guy that the teammate. But Michael the human and with around the people that he trusted with George's best friend, who we all know how that that story transpired and and his security guard. It really seemed like the people that didn't need anything from him, but he needed 
like the way he developed those relationships and was there for those people, um, it kind of tugged on my heartstrings. Like the, the Gus stuff was great. The fact that he wrote a poem at the end of the season for the, for Phil Jackson's like coffee can burning Zen master bullshit that they did, I think says a lot. Um, I just think Michael is more, there's a lot to Michael at the core that people give him credit for. And there is a softy in there if you can get to that center. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I also think to build on that, you, you said like sprinkled throughout the whole docu- documentary, just his view on, on leadership, his view on being the guy. He has to do things that people aren't going to agree with. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he's going to be there doing it with you. That's the definition of what a good leader does. And I think his biggest fear coming in this documentary is people are going to think of him even in an even more negative light. And I think truthfully – at least me personally, I think of him as in a in a better light. I think you saw I too. Your, you saw the very human side of him in various different forms. And I think you did just see a guy who accepted the leadership role, not just because he was the best player on the team, but because he wanted he wanted the best for everybody around him. Yeah, that uh, like Jer said, that Gus stuff tonight in specific was absolutely awesome. I mean, that was part probably one of the highlights of the two episodes tonight. Him, you know, his Gus's wife saying, you know, MJ was there with him during chemo. He he wasn't just one of those friends that are, you know, wishing you, you know, a good good luck in your recovery, blah, blah, blah. He was there with them, struggling along with them. And then that game seven win against the Indiana Pacers where he gave him the, the game ball after that game. I don't know how you don't have feels as a human being watching that because that gave me all sorts of feels. I, I'm not afraid to say I got I broke down a little bit. I mean, it was awesome. I mean. And You're an that, emotional man, champ baby. That just shows. <laughs> that just shows the type of guy that Jordan is, and not not a lot of people knew that about MJ coming into this documentary. And, and that's because most people wanted something from Jordan, and those people just didn't. They were just yeah. there for him. Exactly. Z, winner or loser? I'll throw it. Give you give you a choice. Winner. I'm gonna go winner. I'm gonna go with the director, Jason Hare. Uh, did a great job. I think everybody is loving this documentary, but I think points that Jer and Champ just brought up, right? So Jer loved Michael Jordan as a person, right? The the real person. But he also was able to tell that story, and he also told Michael Jordan as a mythological creature mm-hmm. at the same time. So there was a moment, this is like multiple scenes. Mike, he showed Michael Jordan winning game seven of the conference finals in 97. So in one night, Michael Jordan, what, let's, let's call it an hour. He won game seven. He went back to the locker room, put on a canary suit. He called Larry Bird a bitch. He gave a game <laughs> ball to the, the security guard. Gus, he got into yeah. a, Gus. He got into a red Porsche with a Vandy plate air. That is not a real person. That is a <laughs> mythological creature. And he was able to, in the same episode, same documentary, show the vulnerability of Michael Jordan and that person and yeah. still tie those two together. And that's incredible filmmaking. And I think this guy is going to be able to write his ticket to do whatever he wants next. Because he got Michael Jordan to sign off on him as a person, as a director. And now, and, and he, and Michael was, and really opened Michael up. And Michael was able to talk about his family, was talking about his dad and things like that. On top of that, he was literally putting the finishing touches on this documentary, the last two episodes, a week ago. They weren't done yet. He was still wrapping it up and putting all the, the loose ends. And him and his whole team, I'm sure he wasn't sure he would say it wasn't just him. But that just goes to show you how he turned around something that was moved up way ahead of schedule 
and it turned out something that was really great. I think a lot of people were bored by it who lived through it because they feel like they didn't learn anything new. But I still think people like us, who this the beginning of this whole podcast has been, we remember it, but we don't remember it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yes. And to me, like that is super valuable. It was very entertaining. Sure, there's stuff that I knew, but I got to see a little bit more than what I didn't know. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, champ, another winner. Uh, let's see. I got a couple more. I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, this one's kind of a funny one. It's uh, the Bob Costas quote that he had tonight. Jer <laughs> mentioned it during, during the thing where he basically said that quote unquote push off that everybody says that Jordan did was late, literally like a maitre d showing people to the table. That's what he compared it to. And that's perfect because when they, when you see it in slow motion, I've never really seen it like they showed it tonight where they literally showed it frame by frame. He doesn't even fucking touch him. A piece of paper wouldn't even fall over <laughs> if you hit it like that. If they're not calling the Reggie, Reggie Miller foul push off, they, oh, should, yeah. they should not call that. Yeah, that. so everybody that says, oh, Jordan pushed off, blah, blah, blah. You're all losers if you if want to Because that is absolutely false. Brian Russell was already going to the ground, and Jordan didn't even lay a fucking finger on him and then drain that shot. But that line by Bob Costas, that was legendary. That was a legend. Bob Costas is great. Everybody knows I love him. But that was a legendary quote right there. <laughs> they do? Yeah, I love Bob. <laughs> First name right, basis, Bob. Everybody I'm knows gonna, it. I'm going to get another, another fun winner. Scott Burrell. I think he's a huge winner. Scott Burrell played Wait. like 13 minutes a game. You know I'm how out. much screen he Is got this so because much we called you Scott Burrell before we start recording this podcast tonight? That has something to do with it, yes. <laughs> I was trying to make a case for Scott Burrell. Okay? But the guy played 13 minutes a game. He started like three games in the 97, 98 year. He got so much screen time. He's still friends with MJ today. Like, nobody knew who Scott Burrell. Nobody even knew Scott Burrell was on that team. But now, I think he's going to like, he's going to be a meme. He's going to like did Scott Burrell. Up. I don't know what he did after that. I know he only played that one year with the Bulls. I have no idea what he did with the rest of his NBA career. Well, I have his NBA reference pulled up if you'd like. He played, for the, he played for the New Jersey Nets for two seasons, starting 19 combined games. Oh, and, then he had, and then he had a cup of coffee with the Hornets in 2000, 2000, 2009. And then he was, was gone. Was did you know he got drafted as a baseball player, too, through, through like in the mid-90s? I did not. Scott Burrell, man. He's coming up all aces. All right. So you make I have another case. winner. What do you got, Jer? Carl Malone. Yes, that was my as, next one. Thank you, Jerome. So as a child, speaking of childhood, I hated Carl Malone. I had an affinity for John Stockton, but I hated Carl Malone. That, and, and it probably goes back to like being a Dennis Rodman guy and those two always battling. But Carl Malone to me was just a brick shithouse that should have been on a football field as a kid, not playing basketball. His shot was goofy. I didn't understand how it went in. Like he was just I, I didn't I didn't understand Carl Malone. He had like that weird southern draw. He drove pickup trucks. He was a weird dude. I was totally wrong as a 10-year-old. Carl Malone's a stand-up fucking guy. To lose in the finals for the second year in a row on your home court and to get on the bus after the entire team celebrates in your fucking locker rooms and shake their hands in wearing purple still? Man, Carl, fucking props to you, baby. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. I hated Carl Malone until... 9:30 tonight. I mean, I, <laughs> there's no, there's no doubt about it. Until they showed 
Carl Malone walking into that bus and shaking the team's hands. I hated Carl Malone. And now I have a whole new appreciation for that man because I it because we talked about it. Isaiah Thomas doesn't even shake their hands on the court. Carl Malone, after Jared, like Jared says, they dance all over your court. Rodman tells the crowd to suck it. They're fucking spraying champagne all over themselves in the locker room. Carl Malone says, you know what? I'm going to be a class act. I'm going to go on the team bus, and I'm going to shake their hands and congratulate them for beating me for the second year in a row. And Carl Malone never won a championship, so that's got to hurt him. That's got to hurt him deeply, but credit to him. He's a hell of a guy for doing that. Absolutely. Any other winners, guys? Or do we start pull, ripping the Band-Aid off? I think it's time for the losers. I think that, yeah, that's – I don't have right, a... Let's do one more show winner. DC, do you have a winner? I don't know if you brought one to the table. You you guys have hit all the good ones in my head. I was going to – Reggie? Case. Reggie Miller, no. Oh, no. <laughs> throwing no. some at the wall. God, no. No, Steve Kerr's a big one for me. He was the big one from the past – from tonight. Um, trying to think – Mostly focused on the losers, especially at the, at the very end. I was going to make the case for Jerry Krause. I really was, and then the end happened, and I just can't. I'll, I can still make the case for Jerry Krause. Go for it. It wasn't his fault. It was obviously the person ahead of him. But we See, can get to that in a second. That's fair. Right. The, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you my case real quick, is that it was doing what we all wish we had the foresight to do, is is selling a year too early versus a year too late. That 98 team was beaten and broken down and granted, granted, yes, like they, they still won. They'd absolutely deserved a chance for a seventh championship, but the writing's on the wall with every, the way everyone was kind of looking at the end of that year. Jordan said it like four different times during the, just that final series. They were fucking exhausted. Yes. It doesn't matter. You I know. I agree with you. I'm just you trying, have, trying to You have to give your team that has won six out of the last yes, eight championships. Absolutely. Including three in a row. You give them the I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. If let's, they, I got, I have, they lose in the first round of the playoffs. I got a positive thing, so does Z. Then they do. All right, so you give, give us a buffer. Okay, a positive. The NBA as a whole, huge winner. Mm. I mean, just like the, the, the great action on the court. Great behind the scenes, the characters, the people. NBA, huge winner. I think that's why you've seen it explode globally. I think that's why it's a sport that is going to last. It's like it's climbing, and who knows with safety and things where the NFL is going to happen. But I think the NBA, because of people like Carl Malone and Michael Jordan and characters, so you know him as a person and as a player, uh, I think that's why it's so tremendously successful. Go ahead, Jerry. I have another winner, though. After Now Z's got my head going. Go ahead, Jerome. See, I don't have a winner. I have an antidote to what Z just said. So Z's talking about, like, storytelling and having these people that you want to know about. So what it, in, like, today's society, let's just say that there's a there's a, the Netflixification of The Last Dance. And they decide to go Tiger King route and make, like, a Nicolas Cage Tiger King reenactment. I want you to give me an actor for Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen off the domes if you can right now. Wow. Michael B. Jordan is Michael Jordan. But isn't Michael B. Jordan like five foot eight? That's all. That's crazy. You can make make things. I mean, look at Tom Cruise. True. Uh, Okay, then I'm going to put – if height's not an issue – Tom Hanks, Phil Jackson. Ooh, I like Ooh. 
like that a lot. Please. I'm going. I'm going Denzel Washington as Michael Jordan. <laughs> I think Denzel could be a phenomenal MJ. Could Vince Vaughn pull off a of Phil Jackson? I like Tom Hanks way more. Yeah. I'm trying to find like the Zen part of it though. I don't know. Tom Hanks. I guess Tom's probably. Tom more Hanks could easily do that. Vince Vaughn. Tom Hanks. Vince Vaughn or uh, could Vince be, Vaughn's uh, Bill Wennington. Yeah. <laughs> Will Scott. Ferrell. Will Ferrell is uh, Michael Jordan's best friend, George. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Who plays Jerry Krause? That's the real. That's the real question. Uh, the monster in Space Jam, the head monster. Yeah, Danny DeVito then. <laughs> yeah, you know, the guy from 90 Day Fiance, Big Ed, he can play Jerry Krause. There you go. All right, All right Chip, answer, we're moving on. Well, one, one more winner that I had in this whole thing when Z brought up the NBA as a whole is David Stern. I think I, I think a lot of people coming into this documentary had that dumbass notion that David Stern is the one who stop Michael Jordan from playing in those two seasons that he, he had that quote unquote suspension, the gambling suspension. We, we clearly saw that was not the case that David Stern had a huge appreciation for Michael Jordan and what he did for the NBA. And David Stern, I think is one of the better commissioners in any of the sports that we've seen over our lifetimes. He might be the best that we've seen in our lifetimes in, in terms of commissioners. And I miss David Stern. He, you know, obviously we all know he died earlier this year. And uh, he, it was a big loss for the NBA community. He was a quality commissioner, and he 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 showed some very very good things in this documentary. You're right, champ. And he led the league into what it is today. Yeah, he said. I think he said that it was in 80 countries at the start yep. of uh, the 90s, and now it's in 215. So that tells you all you need to know about what he did for the NBA. All right, it's time. Well, obviously, it's time to just. Taylor banded off this thing. First loser of the whole of the whole series for me is Scottie Pippen. Uh, Pip had a rough, rough, rough documentary. Um, seems like a good guy. I mean, my wife was really bummed to hear the the things that that happened with him. Um, but he could have had a better. He could have had a whole better documentary than than what he did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't great for Scott. I mean, even in this last night when we're like, all right, he got injured in that game six, the last game, he's going to come back and redeem himself. I mean, he played, so give him credit for that. He, he came can't back. even get out of his own way in present day. They he they asked if he was what he was thinking of that last Jordan taking the ball because stay out of the way. It's like Pip, come on, man. Some like even lie. I don't care. I mean, he's right, though. Did you see that clip? I was about to say, I kind of liked him when he Pippen's said Pippen's running up, and he just runs completely <laughs> to the other side of the court. <laughs> I understand, but you can still say something that's better than just run away. I think in terms of the entire Bulls organization, besides the two Jerry's, Scottie Pippen got the worst end of this documentary, in yes. my opinion. Yeah. Do you think that Jordan allowed that to happen? Do you think Jordan wanted that to happen, allowed that to happen, like didn't even think twice about it? Because – it really wasn't great for Scotty. What do you think? Okay, I'm going to say Jordan allowed it slash also recommended it because there was a time in this last episode where, like, he didn't even refer to him as Scotty or he just called him Pippin. And, like, that to <laughs> me just seems like a big time Michael Jordan still sledding a guy. Like, he wouldn't even call him Scotty. He called him he, Pippin. Did you? Okay. 
Did you guys listen to the pod? You didn't listen to the Jalen and Jacoby podcast with the director by any chance? No. Okay, so, so they were talking about the Scotty sitting out against the Magic in 95. And Scotty, they have the, the big moment. And he, they're going through all the stuff in and, and the locker room and Cartwright getting upset. And, you know, Scotty saying, I made a mistake and blah, 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 all that good stuff. So he asked Scotty about it. Scotty says, um, I would do it again the same. I would, do, yep. I would do it the same way over again. And the director is like, this doesn't fit in the podcast. Is like, this doesn't fit my narrative. Like, should I show, should I even put this in there? Is this going to just make Scotty look bad again? Like he had really had major concerns about putting this in the podcast, but ultimately like, this is what he said. This is what he stood by. And I had to do it. It's like, Scotty can't get out of his own way. Couldn't yeah. get out of his way then. Can't get out of his way, his own way now. I think to answer your question, Jared, I don't think MJ knew because I think as you saw throughout the documentary, they kept showing him clips while the cameras were recording him to get his reaction to things. I don't think he actually knew that Pippen was basically burying himself or he knew to Z's point right there. He knew Pippen never could get out of his own way. So he's just going to let, I mean, what's he going to do? He can't look out for him 20 years later. Yeah. I mean, you, you even heard it at the end when Jordan was talking about having guys, all the guys would come back on one year deals to try to win this for the seventh time. He even said, you know, it's going to be a little tougher for Scotty. We're going to have to do a little more convincing. So, I mean, that tells you enough right there. Scotty was going to get paid after that season. One way or another, he was going to get his money. He did. He got a huge contract. The, the, I didn't like how at the end it said the Bulls traded Scotty Pippen. He, they, they did technically. It's a sign and trade. It was a sign and yeah. trade. But he, I mean, he had signed a huge four-year deal with the Rockets, which uh, to the Bulls' credit, I guess, helped them secure with a sign and trade. But yeah, it was, Scotty wasn't didn't do himself any favors throughout this. Let's not give the Bulls credit for doing that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not giving them credit for anything. I'm just saying they they did help facilitate that. Well, they had to. It was part of the rebuild plan, morons. Z. I got another loser. I'm going to get in and get out with this one quick one. Adidas. I mean, this was a really a Jordan commercial for 10 hours, like a Jordan, the brand. And they, and they had the chance to sign MJ too. They if had, you go back like, earlier, like multiple chances to, to sign. And he him. even wanted to go with Adidas. Cause he, he would, he would wear their shoes during college practices at North Carolina because he didn't like the comfort of the converse that they had to wear at, with UNC. And they still didn't get them. Morons. It's a bad one. Uh, any other, any other quick ones you want to break in here? I got a quick loser, that fucking pizzeria in Salt Lake City that gave Jordan <laughs> the shits and made him throw up for, you know, 20 hours before that game. They should be closed down if they're not already. After this documentary, they should be done. Do, do we think there was sabotage there, or do we think it just was a coincidence? Oh, it, they definitely said. Why would five guys be coming to deliver a pizza? How, how did five guys know it was <laughs> Michael Jordan? Like, did he I call? Mean, somebody Sam ordering a pizza hey, for Michael hey. This is no. a pizza for Michael okay. Jordan. Hang on. Go back to after game six when they win the title. Look how many people were in that hotel lobby. Everyone knew where the Bulls were staying. Or whoever's calling in gives their name as the Tim Grover's credit card. And it's, oh, Tim Grover. That's MJ's trainer. It's well, no, not he paid, Champ, this is the 90s. He paid cash yeah. at the door when the pizza was delivered. That's a good point. I still pay. <laughs> hey, it doesn't even have to be the 90s. It could be 2020. <laughs> I still pay cash. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well on that note should we 
Should we go to the end here? The biggest loser of the of the whole documentary, in my opinion, uh, the Chicago Bulls as a franchise. Yep. The reason this documentary was made was because Jerry Krause, then in charge of the basketball operations, said Phil would not be back coming into after 97-98 season. Uh, the Bulls win, no shocker. And uh, Jerry Reinsdorf gives him the opportunity to come back, and he says no uh, because he knew from a market value standpoint that Jerry Reinsdorf would not sign everybody back that he needed to actually win, and he didn't want to go through a rebuild no, I don't blame Phil Jackson whatsoever for that decision. But Jerry, your thoughts as you saw that after the Bulls moves they made after the 98 championship and they embarked in a rebuild, what was the thing you shouted out loud? Fuck Jerry Reinsdorf. He can fuck right off. Well, that's I not mean, what you actually said, but what did I say? You said, and they still are. Oh yes. A hundred percent. They still are rebuilding. They've gone through – God, I've done this math before. There's a notebook full of the Bulls' history since Jordan retired. And obviously it was a forceful retire at this point, and there's no questions, ifs, ands, or buts about it anymore. The Bulls have gone through something like, I don't know, 10 different head coaches if you count the Cartwrights and the interims and all that. They've had the Derrick Rose run, which was never enough of a run because they still couldn't add another Scottie Pippen-like player to add Derrick Rose. And here we are without a Steve Kerr, which should have been the easiest choice to make. We had John Paxson still part of Jerry Reinsdorf's circle. We're hoping that this new crew is going to be able to actually finish this rebuild that Jerry Krause was so adamant about doing, which still makes zero sense to me after all these years. Why was he so forcefully trying to push this rebuild? You have the best player on the planet. What are you rebuilding? Just fucking keep having the same people back and keep Jordan happy. There's only one reason that he wanted to do this, and it was his own ego. He wanted credit for something, and he knew with Phil, with Scotty, with MJ, with all these guys, that he was never going to get the credit. All you have to do is watch any of these rallies that they have. When they announce Jerry Krause's name, the whole fucking crowd boos. Nobody likes Jerry Krause. And so he wanted, he wanted to say, you know what, I'm going to start over with my own guys, and I'm going to get these fans to like it was all about ego with Jerry Krause, and that was so evident throughout this documentary. And this is exactly why I'm not going to believe in this version of the rebuild currently for the Chicago Bulls, because the person at the top is still Jerry Reinsdorf, who okayed the decision then, who okayed John Pax in a punch, uh, Vinny Del Negro on the face, who okayed Pax to fire the best coach we've had since Phil Jackson and Tom Thibodeau, who's okayed every single one of these decisions. And the, to think that this guy is all about money and attendance, and that's the reason he makes half of his decisions, that he would let Michael Jordan, the number one ticket in the world, walk away is baffling to me. Fuck Jerry Not, not only did he allow that decision to happen before the season, he then went to go behind his general manager's back to keep it going. He tried keeping the coach he yeah. tried getting rid of. And at the same point, you fast forward 22 years later, guess what? They hired new basketball operations staff and said they have full autonomy in the basketball operations. But guess who's behind the scenes still trying to keep Jim Boylan around? Jerry Reinsdorf. Fucking stupid. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> He's literally ruined it. He's ruined my entire adult sports fan. <laughs> He's a White Sox owner and the Bulls owner. Two of the three that we care about in professional sports, he just fucking just rails his wiener all over the place. <laughs> He's like a dog just pissing on everything, but it's like nasty. And now my mic fell. Wow. <laughs> How about an outside of Chicago perspective, Z? What do, what do we got here? I just, I just want to go back to the 98 Bulls where Jerry wasn't as mad. 
It's hard to see right now. Yeah, it's clear. I mean, the, the Bulls, like, I, we, we were ta- texting throughout this, and I, I'm convinced Steve Kerr, who's, I think, an NBA savant, NBA genius, he was like, has great respect for the Bulls. There's no way he's going to work for that organization because he saw what Jerry Reinsdorf did when he was there. So when Kerr was between jobs and we're working for TNT. So I just want to change subjects because it's very, very sad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the way the Bulls made decisions in the 90s, they let Dennis Rodman go in the middle of the NBA finals, the finals, to go wrestle and miss practice, go to a WWF event and just – Whatever. <laughs> Don't care. Can, hear me. But he here, comes here. back and, and he's not punished. The media gets asked the media asks Phil Jackson about whether or not he's a distraction and, and Phil Jackson's response is he's only a distraction to you guys, not to us. So. Like that and that was all that was that was it. And there was no punishment for this. And nowadays it's just completely different with the Bulls. What okay. Let's let's try to be as independent as possible on this, right? just for like the next 30 seconds. What were the NBA finances set up in a way that it doesn't make financial sense to bring the 98 bulls back? I don't, it, it makes no sense. If, if, if everything Reinsdorf says is, is all money driven, it makes the most sense to bring he back. Didn't, the, he didn't the, even the, try. He didn't even try. I, so I don't, so it was, and I know they went into a lockout right after that and it could have fundamentally changed, but it just makes zero financial sense to say, yep, we're going to just start rebuilding when we're on top. And Nobody a lot, does. And a lot of those like, guys were still signed with the Bulls. Like, he mentioned Ron Harper. Ron Harper was still on the Bulls after so all was Steve. this happened. Steve got traded. Steve Kerr got traded. Luke Longley was still under contract. I mean, a Rodman lot of guys, released. They released Rodman. They released Who coach was Rodman. still there? So basically, all they had to do was go to Scotty and Michael and say, MJ, how much do you want? We'll give you any amount of money you want for a one-year deal, and you got to convince Scotty to come back. And you don't think Michael would have had any pull in trying to get Scotty back? We all know Scotty would have came back for one more run to try to win another title with MJ. He loved MJ, and and MJ would have had him back, and they probably would have won a seventh. And then you let him go win. A, you let him go until they don't win again. That's all it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, you give them a chance to defend their title. And if your Danny DeVito general manager wants to come up to you and says even one inkling of, I think we should try rebuilding, you tell him he's fucking fired on the spot and hire the next guy that's going to build around Michael Jordan. You fucking hire hire Michael Jordan and you say, you'll be our fucking GM. I don't know if I want that. You bring in everybody you want to play with you and let us. The Charlotte Hornets would suggest that's not a good idea. So mad. It's just so dumb. Jerry Krause. I and I stood no, up for Jerry Reinsdorf. It's not Jerry Krause. Yes, it is Jerry. No, it's Krause. not. It's, it's both Jerry Reinsdorf. Both. I stood up for putting Jerry people Reinsdorf. in power with full power to do whatever they want with big yeah. egos. By the way, it's bad. I I've stood up for Jerry Reinsdorf a lot over the years, and that it's a horrible look. I don't I don't think I ever can again. Honestly. <laughs> Check in tomorrow yeah. when, when Champ's defending Jerry Reinsdorf. The first yeah. Eloy Jimenez home run, Champ, like, I told you, Jerry An extension. I mean, that was a nice extension. You're right about that. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. Well, any other parting thoughts here uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, I have, a, I have a question for you guys. So what is the 
the personal impact that Michael Jordan has made on your lives? Um, I'll take the right off the top. Um, there was a quote that he said that actually has a lot of meaning for uh, my wife and I right now um, with like quarantine and the situations that are going on. It's why are you going to worry about a shot you haven't even taken yet? And I think that is a very powerful thing to think about. It talks about how much Jordan didn't worry about the things that he couldn't handle or change or have an effect in. He was always present. He was always right here, right now. Whatever the next step is, he's going to accomplish that task that he can control. And uh, I think moving forward, that's going to play in the back of my mind a lot. Um, And looking backwards, I think his level of greatness and competitiveness and love of basketball – has made me the sports fan and the person I am right now. Yeah, uh, Michael Jordan and this Bulls team, to me, this whole dynasty started me as a sports fan. It grew my love for sports. And it may have entitled me to want more, as Z says. All of us Chicago fans <laughs> are so entitled. That I'll t- that's fine. I'll be entitled. If, if, if me being entitled as a Chicago sports fan means that I want to see this type of greatness in my teams, I'll accept that. That's fine. I'm glad to accept that because that's what Michael Jordan and these Bulls teams meant to me. They were absolutely incredible. Rewatching this back gave me goosebumps throughout these 10 hours. It was absolutely incredible. And they, I mean, they changed my life as a sports fan for the rest of my life. And they, they pretty much made me the sports fan I am now. Without this Bulls team, who knows if I would have had the love for sports that I do now. To build on what Champ just said, I also think – what Michael Jordan meant, not just to me, but everybody is just what he did for athletes and celebrities and sports figures. He took that bigger, that larger than life persona that you're talking about, that mythical feature almost, and made him almost like just almost human in, in a certain way. And I think you, you've seen that grow with more and more celebrities and social media popping up and, guys being able to figure out how to connect with fans and show themselves as normal people. Um, I think that also adds to the joy of mystique is that he doesn't have, he didn't have that back then. So he had that separation of being mythical where you larger than life, where guys like LeBron who's on Instagram, on Twitter, all that stuff, you, you almost feel like, you know, him a little bit because you can see inside of his house quite frequently. And so I think just having that, that, and I don't want to say God, but almost that almost godlike person to like look up to who's like just not real. It's kind of weird. I think for me, I was thinking about this today. I was going for a run where the the person that's had the most impact on my life outside of my person, my friends and my family are you know famous person is by far Michael Jordan. It hit me. He came up at a time when I was very young. So I have great family, very supportive family. But like my parents weren't really athletes, so they weren't playing sports. We didn't probably watch a lot of sports. But me as the oldest in my family, loving the Bulls, loving Michael Jordan, it really I, I love basketball. And I love basketball because of Michael Jordan. And I loved, started loving other sports. And then my parents pushed me into playing sports. So not only watching, but playing as well. And then kind of my, my younger siblings come on, my brothers come on, and they play sports because I play sports. And I think without Michael Jordan, I don't think – I'm on this podcast I think I'm riding a motorcycle or doing something that maybe is a little bit more like my dad grew up and so I call him alone yes (laughs) driving maybe I'm driving a semi as well it's very possible 
So I think it's uh, kinda, I would appreciate your work right now, Z. That would be for sure. <laughs> I mean, and then I think from like now as an adult, I think about how Michael Jordan just never settled. Wins three titles, retires, wants to wants to try something completely different, wants to go play baseball, wants to come back and be a champion again. Like just consistently doing whatever it takes to be the very best. And I think that's been made a huge impact on me personally. If there's one thing I know about Z, he likes to tell people to hashtag never settle. (laughs) (laughs) And on that, I think it's a good time to wrap that up. Uh, So this was the last dance. We enjoyed recording it. We hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it. Uh, As Z said, three, three entitled Chicago sports fans and, our other Bulls fan friend. The guy that grounds us all. <laughs> <laughs> Giving you our thoughts, watching the last dance here. Uh, make sure you guys are listening to Spoko Radio, dropping on Thursdays. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again on Thursday. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. MJ's the GOAT. No questions asked. Jerry Reinsdorf, not so much. Thanks, boys. See you, see. <laughs> Now here's me Got to see that's how I dream to be I dream I'm new